Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham curling, curling! Magnificent all round! Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang! And the captain, as he did last week, from about there, kicks the goal. One hundred and ninety-eight home and away matches down. What a finish to the AFL season, and the finals are just around the corner. Albeit we've got a bit of a wait, Lingy, and it's going to be a tough wait, I reckon, for the finals to start because we're going to have a great series. Welcome to you, mate. What a round of footy again! Oh, what a round of footy! What a season of footy! I've got to get the tough question out of the way early. Are you okay, Alistair? I, I am fine. I'm absolutely fine, and you know I could see it happening in that last quarter, even though Carlton had really taking the ascendancy in that match against Collingwood. It's Collingwood, and they've proven themselves across the course of the season time and time again, and they can come back from difficult positions, last quarters where they look like they might be out of it. They find a way to win. They didn't do it against Sydney last week. The Swans' defence was so strong, but it just had this foreboding feeling about it in that last quarter for Carlton. And there were these magical things that happened for Collingwood, the McCreary goal from the boundary. It was an amazing goal, a real shot in the arm for the pies. And then Jamie Elliott really leapt off the back of that, that scream here he took and the goal. And then the other goal that he kicked as well. So I do feel for the blues because they did so much good work throughout the season, but ultimately you would have to say, and I'm not saying it's a failed season by any stretch. I think they have made ground this year, but it's a missed opportunity, isn't it for the blues? It certainly is, Al. I mean, two things came out of that. First of all, Collingwood fans are busily building a um, a statue to Jamie Elliott for breaking the hearts of Essendon fans and Carlton fans. I mean, how clutch is Jamie Elliott? What a performance by him. But on the serious part of it, it, it is a wasted opportunity. You, you can't look at the season and be inside the top eight for the entire year except when it matters most at the end of the last round and not feel like it's a wasted season. And unfortunately for the Blues, they've only got themselves to blame, Al, because we go back, round three versus the Hawks, round five versus Port Adelaide, round 10 versus the Swans. What happened in those games were the Blues got out to a lead. Now they were bigger leads early on in the game and then they stopped playing or didn't handle situations well or didn't run uh, handle the run-on of opposition well and let those teams back into the game. Now, ultimately, they won those games. They were, you know, phew, we did it. How, how good was that? You know, terrific wins. But Carlton never learnt the lesson from those types of games how to handle tight situations. And sadly, sorry, Blues fans, and, and sorry to everyone out there who, who wanted the Blues to win, they blew it big time against Melbourne and they blew it big time against Collingwood today. Zero goal six to start the last quarter. And a couple of moments in the last quarter will haunt certain players for the for the Blues. Um, and we can go into those in a second. But it is a massive wasted opportunity. They should have been playing finals and it's their own fault that they're not. Yeah, there was that unfortunate stat. The last team that had gone through an entire season home and away in the frame to play finals and to cough that up in the last round was Carlton back in 1977. So it was very obvious the deficiencies in the last couple of minutes against Melbourne the week before, Lingy, but what did you see in the closing stages of the clash against Collingwood? Well, it's the understanding of what's on the line and what you need to do in that moment. Uh, It boils down to little moments when it gets that tight against a good team with season on the line stuff. And, and this was effectively a, an elimination final. It, it's, that's the scenario that faced the Blues, and they didn't handle that. Caleb Marchbank not flying with Ash Johnson in that um, late in that last quarter. 
and and Jamie Elliott. Elliott's the one who ultimately takes the mark, but it took the mark. It was it was Marchbank's responsibility to fly there as the defender. Didn't do it. Elliott marks bank goal. Fast forward on the wing, Collingwood trying to exit their back fifty, find an exit kick. Marchbank just concedes a simple mark. When he could have got there, could have made the score, punched out of bounds, reset the ground. They transfer the ball down the ground. They get, they get a shot at goal. Little moments like that will haunt Caleb Marchbang. I don't want to pick on him because there were others who didn't handle it well. Charlie Kernow, early on in the last quarter, taking the mark, not mm. composing himself, taking a breath, taking 15, 20 seconds, still wanted to kick it across his body. That's fine. I'm not arguing that the choice of the shot at goal, but take your time, take a breath, get your ground set, go back, kick the goal. Little like moments like that, you have to execute. You have to deliver. Otherwise, it bites you. And it did. And, and that's the reason they lost because Collingwood stepped up in the moments, like Jamie Elliott or McCreary or multiple other players. Braden Maynard, how many times did he stand up in that last quarter? And Carlton players simply did not stand up in those moments. And, and that's the difference. It's a one-point difference that has cost Carlton their entire season. So before you declare to me whether you think it's a failed season for Carlton or not, because already the narrative seems to be that it's a successful season for Carlton, even though they didn't play finals because of the steps they took, there are mitigating factors for Carlton's back half of the year. And in defence, they obviously had a series of injuries that hurt them badly. Jacob Wietering, Mitch McGovern as well, had started to play some decent footy at the start of the year, wasn't available. Then their midfield as well. And it was such a benefit for Carlton to have the likes of Kennedy and Hewitt in that engine room. And then you couple that today with the late withdrawal of, of Sam Walsh. I thought going into that match against Collingwood today, Carlton was really going to be up against it, given who they were missing. And to be in a position to win that game, to be in a position where they should have won that game, I actually thought they did quite a good job of that. So how much do you weigh into that? And what would you give Carlton for the season? Did they pass under Michael Vosney's first year or is it a fail in your eyes, Cameron Ling, in your very uh, no, not, harsh, not, severe eyes? Not, not a fail because they made steps, but it was wasted. The opportunity, I, I think ultimately with everything that you're alluding to there with, with injuries, with just where they're at and their health and, and really being able to get across the ground, even if they'd made it, they weren't winning the premiership. But the value of having... The, all of those players play in one final, maybe two finals, who knows, three finals, I don't know, is massive to their development. So it's it's a wasted opportunity but not a failed season. And, and it's two very different things because they made big gains with a lot of their players um, right across the ground. And, and the recruitment of Hewitt to the club, big tick. Chera, while I don't think he hit the heights that everybody expected him to straight away, was superb today, I thought, for Carlton and will be a valuable, he's still young, valuable player going forward. So the recruitment of him, big tick. Wiedering took another step forward, huge tick. Kerno's health comes back in and wins the Coleman medal. Massive tick. Can him and Mackay work together? Absolutely. The midfield's deep. Lockie O'Brien even on the wing. I, I reckon they found something a little bit there um, when he's been in and out of the team. Um, a bit throughout the year. Um, Jack Silvani stepped up at times, battling as an under undersized ruckman and drifting forward and being very versatile. So, yeah, there's there's all these improvements and all these gains. So that makes it not a failed season. It, it's certainly a stepping stone to where they're going to be. But it's still a wasted opportunity. They, they could have had finals experience. And who knows? They get in there and they get deep and they get on a little run and they get a little luck here and a little luck there. Well, who's to say? But that's where the wasted bit has been. And, and yes, today was a big ask with some of those players out, but they put themselves four goals up in the last quarter and they had six shots at goal to win the game. You win those. Yeah. Last week, when you're up by 12 points or whatever with two or three minutes to go, you win that. That's what you have to do. So that, that's where they're going to live with the fact that they, they blew an opportunity but in the cold, calm light of day, the season was still a step in the right direction for the Carlton Footy Club. And what a crowd, Lingy, at the MCG oh, yeah. today. What, over 88,000? I think it might have been a record. I need to check the numbers for a home and away match between those two sides. 
just an enormous occasion at the MCG. It feels, as we've gone through the season, these big games, it was the same for Collingwood and Essendon. It just feels like Melbourne's alive again. Footy's back to normal. Again, I did the game between Sydney and St Kilda for radio this afternoon. The kids were out on the ground afterwards having a kick. It was just superb. And we've had a great standard of football right across the season as well with some fantastic matches. Collingwood now plays Geelong in a qualifying final at the MCG. As we speak on Sunday evening, Travis Ald and Marcus King and co are putting the magnets together and we're yet to have the fixture released and we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on that if it breaks as we speak. But I can see that being a Friday night clash, Collingwood and Geelong Lingy, and I can see that being an absolute belter. Is Collingwood an opposition that makes you a little nervous because you're not quite sure what they're capable of? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm with you. I assume it'll be Friday night, um, Geelong versus Collingwood at MCG. The way they've played all year, I think, has just made teams incrementally more nervous as the year's gone on because it was a bit of a fluke and a little bit lucky. And, oh, yeah, good on them. little pat on the head. You know, you're going, okay, Pies coming from 17th to, oh, hang on a second, this is real and this is serious and they are wonderful um, and intoxicating to watch. And, yeah, and then, good word. And then throw in the, the, the clutch nature of so many of their players Absolutely, they can deliver in the qualifying final against the Cats. The, the matchups right across the ground would be outstanding. Two of the greatest uh, warriors and players and leaders that we've seen in, in recent history in Scotty Pendlebury and Joel Selwood going up against each other. Two vicious bulls at uh, probably other ends of their career and Paddy Dangerfield versus Jordan Degoe going at each other. Um, whether it's Jeremy Cameron or Tom Hawkins and Darcy Moore's lining up on them. And oh, just the sheer athleticism of the Cameron versus Moore matchup is mouthwatering. Um, who plays on Jamie Elliott, who's got the hottest hand right now and as clutch as they come, it, it'll be a brilliant game of footy. And, and we know Collingwood fans at the MCG, they get there and they get there in their droves and they get there very, very loud and ready to go. They, they can turn it into a home ground advantage. Um, so it's it's a huge one. And part of me was barracking for the narrative um, today of if Carlton won, it would have been a Collingwood-Richmond elimination final, which would have had 100,000, I reckon, at a qualifying <laughs> final. Um, but now we've got Geelong-Collingwood and it's still probably the loudest crowd I've ever played in front of in that 2007 preliminary final, Geelong versus Collingwood. Late in that game, um, I was talking to teammates maybe three foot away from me. They couldn't hear me. I couldn't hear them. It was so noisy out there. That's probably the type of atmosphere we're going to get um, likely in uh, in that first Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as I say, we haven't got the finals fixture yet as we speak, but, but my gut would tell me that the Thursday night would be at the MCG Melbourne playing Sydney. Now, Tom Papley was concussed for the Sydney Swans at Marvel today, Lingy, and with the 12-day compulsory break, that would mean he's going to miss out by a day if that match is played on the Thursday night. I don't think that could possibly be a factor in the AFL's determinations, could it? We had Luke Parker on 3RW after the game, and he said he hoped that the AFL would take that into consideration, but that would set a bit of a worrying precedent, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. And and what arguments... Do you make so that's a mandatory one? So he definitely misses. If they shifted Geelong to that one, that's uh, the the old standard for a hammy is twenty one days. Jeremy Cameron, even if it's a Friday night, it's twenty days for Jeremy Cameron. You push him a day earlier, that's nineteen days. That plays into does Jeremy Cameron play or not? So you you can't start making decisions based on oh well we, we try and get that player fit and try and get that. Oh. My gut feel was it was going to be the Melbourne-Sydney on a Thursday night, the Geelong-Collingwood Friday night, the Saturday afternoon slash twilight would be the uh, the Freo Dogs game with the, the yeah. Saturday night being Brisbane um, taking on Richmond at the Gabba. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you set a dangerous precedent if you start thinking, well, we need to push the Sydney game because of, because of availability. But the little wrinkle in that is this is actually a mandatory 12 days. So they know that at day 13, he can play. So 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I am hitting refresh while we're doing this podcast. Can I assure you this, listeners? I am hitting refresh, refresh, refresh. All right. That's your responsibility, Lingy. You're you're <laughs> you're manning that. So we'll we'll get uh, Mitch Cleary exclusive from you when we can, when the fixture drops. And uh, why is it being? Why is it coming out so late? I don't understand that. What eight thirty on a, a Sunday night? I think we're expecting to see it. So. It's four games to, to lock in. It looks reasonably straightforward, but perhaps there are some um, different scenarios that present that we're not aware of. I watched Sydney today again, Lingy. I watched them last week at the SCG as well. Perhaps not their best performance against St Kilda. In fact, in the last quarter, almost gave up moments for St Kilda to win the game and the Saints were coming hard in their final game of the season. What's been a, a pretty disappointing back or a very disappointing back end and a disappointing season overall. But... Gee, Sydney impressed me again, just the way they have these young players who are such a key part of what's driving this team forward. They've won seven in a row now. They're so reliable. Guys like Rowbottom and Warner, these young guys coming through, and Goulden was good again today, underpinned by what they already have with Heaney and Pucker and Rampy and those more experienced players. Mills I'd put in that category as well. I really like the Sydney Swans. Will Hayward's another. He was one of the better players for the Swans. He kicked two crucial goals in the last quarter, kicked three for the game, had plenty of the ball. I reckon they're a chance against Melbourne as much as Melbourne was back to its brilliant best against yeah. Brisbane, but they've won 10 of their past 12 against the Ds. They knocked them off at the MCG earlier in the season by 12 points. And there's just this reliability about the way they they play the Swans. And I think to a style of play that lends itself to big finals very well. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I like the Swans at the MCG. I, I really do. I think they play better there because they can open up. They can, they can almost get out on the uh, the German autobahn and uh, really let the, the engine go out on the G. And um, that works for them because they're they're not that just hard contested in an under team and and you know really st- strong contested team that they were five, six, seven, eight years ago. They are that still with this ability to explode and move it with speed. So. I like them, except for the fact that I witnessed the Melbourne Demons on Friday night completely obliterate a challenger in the Brisbane Lions. Without that so fresh in my mind, I'd be jumping up and down about the Swans knocking Melbourne off. But then my mind goes to what Melbourne did to Brisbane, and I think, okay, there's that team that won the Premiership last year and was uh, looking unbeatable at the midpoint of this season. So... It's going to be a beauty. It it, it really will. Because, again, I was was talking about the Geelong and Collingwood matchups. You start going through some of the matchups that might occur in in that game and the middle of the ground, does Mills go to Oliver and that battle of a a two-way mid versus Oliver, just a freak. You know, who who does play on Petrarca or, you know, or or vice versa? Who goes to Warner and Warner's ability to break the game open? Um, Franklin always looms massive, but what does Heaney do? do? Does Lever have to play on Heaney? And Heaney would be, I feel, too quick and mobile and do everything with him. Or is it a Michael Hibbert who goes to Heaney in just a pure lockdown? Um, other, so. other end of the ground, all these different... It, it's just, it, it, again, mouth-watering about the matchup. I, I know I was saying before that you can't change your mind on a fixturing based on the availability of players. But I do love seeing the best versus the best. So I want to see Tom Patley play and see how the Demons handle that. Up the other end of the ground is Cosy Pickett, who's in red-hot form himself. Who handles Cosy Pickett? Um, it'll be a great one. But Sydney will be right there. I think that'll that'll come down to the wire as well uh, and discontinue the season we're having. These guys, two sides have not played in a final <laughs> since 1987, a semi-final in Melbourne, absolutely belted. Sydney in that match by 76 points. Robbie Flower kicked four goals for the Ds, but it's been a long time since these two clubs played off in a final. The Western Bulldogs and Fremantle have never played in a final, so some history is going to be created there when those two sides go at it. The Dockers weren't overly convincing, but came from behind after a poor start and did what they needed to do against GWS. Ultimately, didn't manage to finish in the top four, so that's an elimination final for them. One at home, which should be of benefit to them. So where do you see the Dockers and how much of a threat do you think the Western Bulldogs pose? We've sort of been watching them all year that they're a little bit bipolar, the Western Bulldogs. Their best can be so, so good and their worst, they can just completely get rolled over by opposition who can score so heavily and quickly against them. 
Yeah, can I start by just giving Freo a huge pat on the back and just saying a wonderful season. Um, well coached by Justin Longmuir ahead of time. I mean, I, I was shocked. I, I really liked what Justin and the Fremantle Dockers were building, but I thought their finals launch was maybe next year or the year after. I still thought that was their, their timeline. To play the footy they have this year has been outstanding, but now they find themselves in an elimination final. And as you said, not finishing the year that convincing, um, but getting the job done. So maybe just finding something, week off, freshen up some of those young blokes, be a great test for them because they're, they're not finals hardened. The Fremantle Dockers, the Bulldogs are. That, that team is you know knows how to play finals. Their midfield is such an important part of what they do. So the dogs would be feeling pretty good about themselves going over there. And, well, we know what they did when they got on their 2016 run. They went over to Perth and they won their first final. First up. Yeah, coming from where um, probably the same spot in the ladder, was it? Seventh or was it eighth? Seventh, yes, it was seventh. Yeah, yep. seventh. Um, so they'll feel good about that. The Fremantle on the flip side have got to realise if we can break even with them in the middle of the ground and the contest work in the middle of the ground against Libra and McRae and Bontempelli and Smith and these guys, at least break even, don't have to smash them, just break even, then I think the dogs are very, very vulnerable um, around the other parts of the ground. Um, they, they were okay today. I think we saw what their future might hold when you see Sam mm. Darcy start plucking marks and Jamari Eugle Hagen's finished the year off beautifully. Bailey Smith will only continue to get better and better. Bont's still young. Um, there's all the talk that Liam Jones is a, a lock for the dogs um, coming back in to shore up that defence. So I think the dogs' future is really, really bright. But um, unfortunately for Frio, um, they're going to have their hands full making sure they turn this really promising and, and terrific season into multiple finals and not just a good run and then one and done. Um, Frio need to, I think, hit that second final to go, yeah, that's a huge step forward for us as a club. Yeah, and, and on the back of what they've done early in the season, the emergence of young players, that midfield battle will be fantastic. The Dogs midfield bats deeper, but the quality of the Fremantle midfield, the likes of you know Brayshaw and Sarong and those guys going up against some of the, the better midfielders in the competition, I think they'll be well and truly up for, for that challenge, the Dockers, and, and agree wholeheartedly with you around what Justin Longmuir has been able to do with that club, betting down defence, and then building some offensive players. It has gone missing a little bit in the back end of the season, that sort of mid-forward connection for Fremantle. But at home, big crowd, Fremantle fans will be out in force. That that will be a, a great occasion, I think, as those two sides, as I say, go at it in a final for the first time. Um, can anyone win from outside the top four, do you think, realistically, Lingy? Uh, Richmond is obviously part of that conversation, and, and history tells us what they can do in September, and they have players who've been there and done it before. Uh, yes, I think a team can. I think Richmond is the team that can. Uh, but I I say that with a giant asterisk next to that, if Tom Lynch is okay. Yeah. It, I, I'm assuming Dusty will come back in, but let's not expect Dusty to be um, the unbelievable, ridiculous Dusty that he's been. Let's say Dusty comes back and he's a really good impact player. Um, they've still got enough elements if Tom Lynch is firing like the way that he finished the year. Presti is a brilliant midfielder. Um, their defence is well organised and sound enough. I think they, with Shea Bolton, just as that unbelievable game breaker who can just change the trajectory of games, but they need Tom Lynch. Jack, Jack Rewalt competes and does everything and he uses his smarts and he finds a little bit of space here and compete and does everything that you want from a veteran to do, but he can't break the game open anymore. Like he used to be able to, it's Tom Lynch who can. If Lynch is fit and firing and healthy, then this Richmond team still looms massive. And, and how bad Brisbane were on Friday night. If any performance like that, again, Richmond will destroy them. Forget it that it's at the Gabba. Um, Brisbane have got to find about three new gears from uh, the way that they've been going recently to uh, to beat Richmond. Um, and, of course, they've had some huge games in, in recent history um, in finals between Richmond and, and Brisbane. I, I think Richmond's the one team that can can do it. I, I don't see the Dogs getting on a 2016 run or, and, and making it deep. I think Fremantle will 
and kind of have hit a wall. I all the questions I had about the Brisbane Lions are, are only magnified after watching them Friday night. Um, I've got huge question marks around them. Richmond's the one team that could possibly get rolling and their big game players stand up and do it from outside the top four. Lynch was on the seven coverage after the match and he, he didn't give away too much. He, he said it was sore and got progressively sore. He's groin throughout the match and that's why he came to the bench. He was going to need a scan to determine the extent of the injury. I'm not a fan of the pre-finals buy, but I do see what benefit it can give players like Tom Lynch in scenarios like this and how good it is to see a player like Tom Lynch potentially available to play a meaningful role in a, a first final. I get all that. I'm still a bit of the old school around the battle of attrition and it feels weird that we have this stop in the season before we get the finals underway. But I would counter that now by saying that the scheduling of the AFLW, Lingy, gives us some footy and it gives a real launch for AFLW, which I think is a fantastic thing that that can get underway with all teams in the competition represented now and that will have some clear air with no AFL finals. But to me, when you had no footy across that weekend, great that you could go and watch some local football, but it seemed like perhaps a little bit of the momentum was was knocked out as we hit the, the period of the year when the whips were really cracking. I felt like anyone who played Richmond in the first week of the finals would be a little bit nervous playing them, but I don't think any team more so than than Brisbane, as you say, based on what we saw from them, based on what we've, we've seen a little bit too much of in, in recent times from the Lions, just that inability to, to really compete against the best teams in the competition. And full marks to Melbourne, Alan Richardson was interviewed in the pregame and, and he made it very clear that they knew what Brisbane was going to throw at them because of the way they dismantled them at the MCG earlier in the year and Brisbane was uncompetitive around the contest in that game. But Melbourne just came out of the blocks and had a ferocity about the way they played and, and put a score on early. And Brisbane really didn't offer a yelp at all. Um, it's probably likely that they'll challenge the Cam Rayner suspension. Do you think? To me, it's highly unlikely he would get off. That's a tackle that they want to take out of the game. Ben Brown was bloodied. He had to come from the field. He wasn't concussed, but... That's the tackle that they want out of the game. And I think it would be very difficult for him to get off. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like that would stand. Um, yeah, it's funny what you say about uh, Alan Richardson's comments and um, the way that Melbourne stepped up to a big physical game, really important game, was to be incredible in the contest, to win the ball, put enormous pressure on the opposition, to play great, hard, finals football they knew what it takes to actually win Brisbane Lions definition of you know stepping up and playing hard football was to pretend to be tough and to want to fight and to want to wrestle and to want to niggle and to want to sledge and to want to stir and it's just garbage it, it really since when has it ever worked I, I mean I, like it's led by Dane Zorko and Dane Zorko should be embarrassed about everything that he's done and and that's even outside of the sleds, the way that he was carrying on. Like, his leadership, he set the tone for the way that they pretended to play hard football. And, it, I mean, it's just, it's not what you want from your leader. It's not what you want from your captain. I, I think there'll be a nice, um, they'll, they'll, they'll put out a beautiful, polite, fluffy statement come the end of the year about, oh, Dane Zorko's decided to concentrate on his footy and he'll be no longer captain because it's a mutual decision and blah, 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 blah. But it's garbage like he serves up in, in that game on Friday night. That's the reason why he, he can't be captain anymore of Brisbane. So you're saying he should no longer be the captain oh, of the Lions? No, and, I mean, he shouldn't be anyway with the, the amount of undisciplined acts he does anyway outside of whatever repugnant thing he's decided to say to Harrison Petty to make him that upset. I mean, really, that's what you want from your captain? You want from your captain someone who's going to put his head over the footy and be hard and chase and and be, do everything he can to win within a disciplined framework and, and drive his team over the line. Not not that garbage. That that doesn't help. Um, and, and Melbourne embarrassed him and the rest of the Lions. Like, that's not hard finals footy. What Melbourne delivered was. You know what Collingwood and Carlton delivered today? That was great hard finals footy. There wasn't cheap shots. There wasn't wrestling. There wasn't all little undisciplined acts behind the plate. It was hard footy. You had to body line the ball and do your job. Dane Zorko and some of his Brisbane teammates, I hope they sit down and just get a little bit, they cringe and think, 
was I carrying on like that big an idiot? Because they really were. I mean, seriously, that's that's not tough footy. That's not leadership. And and Brisbane are gonna and and Dane and all of those key Brisbane leaders are gonna have to understand what's needed for that first final against Richmond. Because if they want to come out and play like that again, Richmond will blow them off the park in that first final. Yeah, the Tigers will bring it. There's no doubt about that. So does Brisbane have that in its DNA, do you think, Lingy? I, I look at a player who's been the sub or not playing for Brisbane this year, and I see it in him. There's a, a physical approach to Mitch Robinson's style of play. He puts his body on the line, but he, he's no longer as influential as he used to be. Do, do they have other players within that lineup who are capable of playing that style of football? Could that be the missing piece for Brisbane when it comes to their failures in finals? Well, that, I, I, again, I don't know. And that's the question I've had. Every time we've come on here on a, uh, on a Sunday night to record this podcast, where do you put Brisbane? I'm like, I don't know because I've got far too many questions about their middle part of the ground. I've even got questions about their forward line. Can it really get the job done as good a player as Charlie Cameron is. You know, Joe Danaher stands up sometimes. McStay competes often. Hipwood's there a little bit. Again, do I really believe in them? Cameron Rainer's one I, I've kept saying, I, I think Rainer can be the difference. And St Kilda, he was the difference. But then he's not. And then he kind of looks like he is. And then he's not again. And and he's not going to even be playing this week, um, you'd assume. So, the simple answer is I don't know. And when you're going into a final against Richmond, you don't want to not know. Um, it, it, like Mitch Robinson's not the answer for one second because he, he, he can't do it as well as he used to with his run and his desperation and everything like that. And then all these undisciplined acts come into it and he just ends up hurting the team. Dane Zorko is hurting the team with all of the nonsense that he's carrying on with. So it's got to come from... Hugh McCluggage, uh, Jared Berry, these types of players, they're the ones who've got to elevate what they do. But I only see a couple of players being able to do that, and, and they're probably it. Without Rayner being able to step up and be that X factor, I just don't have that deep belief that, yeah, no, nah, the lines will be right. They'll, they'll figure it out. They had a bad one on Friday night. They'll go bang and they'll smack Richmond. There's no way I have those thoughts about the Brisbane Lions. I mean, I understand what you're saying about Zorko and he's certainly over the years had had moments where you look at his behaviour on the field and you think, ah, oh, geez, that's not the way to be carrying yourself. There was the issue with Tuke Miller as well going back a few years, but I think he has a competitive spirit within him. He has played some really good football for the Brisbane Lions. He's, he's kicked clutch goals. He's been a match winner for them over the years. And he, and he is, in fairness, he has put his head over the ball predominantly. I know he has perhaps not had as good a season this year. And, and it was awful what happened the other night. We don't know the nature of, of what he said to Harrison Petty, but it was obviously serious enough that it, it was something he found very distressing and warranted an apology um, and warranted Alan Richardson to go across to Danny Daly at, at the break and, and make mention of it, that the line had been crossed. So, so whatever it was, it was serious enough that, that an apology was, was warranted. But I think if you ask most Brisbane Lions fans, they would they would say that Dane Zorko had been a champion of the club over the years as much as even they would probably cringe at a little bit of his behaviour sometimes. Lockie Neal's probably the obvious person who would be the captain of that football club if it's not Dane Zorko, wouldn't he? Uh, not necessarily. No, I don't. I, I, I don't. Often, sometimes the best thing with a just a a, a genuine ball winner, a magnetic ball winner who just see footy, get footy, hunt the footy, and he's better off just hunting the footy. That's, that's where his focus is, where his benefit to the team is. doesn't always necessarily make the best captain. Sometimes it does. I mean, um, Scotty Pendlebury found heaps and heaps of the footy, but also had an understanding of what needed to be set up, how he needed to use other teammates, had to bring others along for the journey. Lockie Neal is a... I want to get the footy and I want to help the team. Um, footy, get the ball, get the ball, get the ball, get the ball. That's cool. That's great. It's, it's such a strength. He's probably going to win his second Brownlow medal doing it. Um, I think it's somebody who's probably just got a wider vision about what the entire group needs to do and who needs to come along that journey. I don't know who that is, though. Um, Harris Alan? Andrews? 
Would he be one? Harris Andrews is the one that jumps front of mind for me. Um, And our interactions with him, anytime he's been on the podcast or we've interviewed him for radio, you always finish that really super impressed with Harris Andrews. Um, Harris hasn't probably had his peak season and not that he needs to be the best All-Australian defender every single year. Um, But if he's comfortable with the demands of being captain as well as then finding his very best football again, then he seems to be the one who's obvious to me. Um, But I also don't know if there's somebody else in there who's uh, within that group, a real driving force and understands everyone and the relationships. Um, So, yeah, it's not clear cut. But I'm just from an external person looking on, the Lockie Neal personality doesn't necessarily suit to being the captain when he wants to get on with doing his primary role, which is just get the footy. Yeah, okay. Well, that's sort of touched on matches coming up, matches that had influence across the course of the round. Just to whip through a few other things, Essendon, you probably can't really whip through given the week that they had and then news to start Sunday with the board meeting and then the decision to to cut Ben Rutten. We saw the emotional scenes in the rooms after that match against Richmond on Saturday night, Lingy, and, and the level of support coming from all quarters, even Damien Hardwick for for Ben Rutten as well, himself admitting in the press conference afterwards that he felt like he'd been treated poorly and was disappointed with what had taken place. They did seem to strip him of his dignity, don't you think? Oh, yes, absolutely. What a what a joke. I mean, you, you this is a guy in his second season as senior coach. Now, they targeted him from Richmond. They wanted him. They brought him across under John Worsfold. They made a really clear path. <laughs> they obviously did their due diligence and said, this is a guy who, who understands the tactical side of footy, is a really good relationship, people person, um, and is a quality leader who's going to drive our club forward. So that's the decision to hire him as a senior coach. He has his first year, they make finals, probably a little bit ahead of time. Fantastic. Everything's happy. This year, not a great season, a, a step backwards. That doesn't mean he's not a good coach, he's not a good leader, he's not a good tactical person, he, he's not the person to take your team forward. They took a step backwards. I just can't believe you wouldn't give invest more time in somebody who is clearly really well regarded across the league and, is, and knows what he's doing. He coached a team to finals in his first season, so he's, he's at minimum a, um, a pretty good coach. And and let him grow and develop. It's funny, all this talk during the week, Al, I, I got to think, like, Alistair Clarkson, the, the saviour, Alistair Clarkson, the guru, Alistair Clarkson, the greatest modern coach ever, is, yes, all of the above. But Alistair Clarkson wasn't Alistair Clarkson, the four-time premiership coach, after his second season of football coaching at the Hawthorne. His win-loss record wasn't real pretty at that stage. He had a vision about where he wanted to take his team too. He had some bad losses and it was hard and wasn't going to plan a little bit. Hawthorne stuck with him and added some wonderful people around him over the years. The Mark Evanses, the Chris Fagans, all of these brilliant people, the assistant coaches like Damien Hardwick and um, Adam Simpson and all these people around him. And Alistair Clarkson turned in to one of the greatest coaches ever. Well, Jumping off Ben Rutten after two years because he what hadn't delivered your premiership in two years or whatever it might have been, or, or in David Burham's words, um, we played uncompetitive footy at times, is just such a knee-jerk reaction and, and really poor treatment of a, a high-quality football person. Um, yeah, Essendon and that board have not covered themselves in glory at all. Um, I, I think Kevin Sheedy's probably going to look back and be really disappointed with his decisions throughout this time and communications and even some of the interviews that he's done around butting into North Melbourne's business um, and talking about Tasmania and all of that. It's been a horrible week for the Bombers. Absolutely wretched week for the Bombers. I understand the pursuit of Clarkson, Lingy, um, the criticism of the way they behave this week. Really, the, the real criticism should be that they chose to 
review internally back mid-year when Clarkson was potentially available and gettable and then they left it too late and then they didn't communicate it to Ben Rutten when they did decide to pull that trigger. I mean, it's not an easy conversation to have, but it's courtesy at the very least to say, look, coach of a generation's available. We're not going particularly well, as you would concede. We need to talk to him. We want to be transparent with you and let you know what's going on. So, yeah, I think Ben Rutten's been treated poorly. There is the argument that he essentially coached in the year under Warsfold, as much as Warsfold fronted the press conference. So some would argue that it is his third year in, in some ways at the helm of Essendon. But I, I would question when you didn't get Clarkson, who, who do you now get? It looks like Adam yeah. Kingsley or Adam Uze are going to be appointed at GWS. You hear some quarters suggesting that James Hurd could make a return, Ross Lyon. Please. His name always pops up, but I'm not sure he's particularly interested in a return to coaching. I, even with the Sheedy appointment, I get that that appeases a faction of Essendon supporters who sort of misty-eyed look back to the past and they would advocate for James Hurd's return. As much as Essendon, I think, needs to acknowledge the glory days of the club and tap into its history in that respect, they also need to look forward, don't they? Yeah. They need to look to the future and, and that future is, is probably moving away from people like Kevin Sheedy as much as they've been giants of that football club. No, I, I agree with you, Al. It's, it's time to move into really modern football and um, the, the coaching and management of modern players and, and younger players who are very, very different to what you and I were at the same age and the way that you can communicate with them and what they're looking for from senior coaches. Um, I mean, David Barham's words were that we want an experienced coach. Well, so who is that? Is that, you know, you mentioned Ross Lyon. Is it, is it Nathan Buckley? Is it Don Pike? Is it? I mean, they could go out and get this, but is that the right course of action for this group? Oh, listen, it might be a masterstroke. They might get it right, but I, I would have thought they made the decision to move into modern coaching and modern times and, and go and get Ben Rutten and, and understand the influence he was able to have um, when he was an assistant coach and the modern tactical things that he brought into the game and the relationships that he was able to build and the, the culture that he was ha a part of in, in building. And then he was going to bring that to, to Essendon. That was their decision to move that. It's like they, they kind of dipped their toe in the water of moving more um, current and modern and stopped looking back into that glorious past and then thought, oh, no, 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 that, that's all good. We've had a little try at that. Um, we still want we still want to win a premiership every five years. It's oh, I don't know. I don't know where this ends up. Um, I don't know which coach takes the job. Would you want to coach there, really, with what's just happened? You'd want to know. You'd want to have some certainty around your contract, and you'd want to know who was running the club. Um, that's a starting point. And also the now external review that they're undertaking. Uh, that was the other aspect. That ben Rutten's been sacked before they've conducted the review yeah so that's a little surprising in some ways i suppose as well it has been a it's been a horrid end to the season for us and no doubt about it um one beautiful moment though michael hurley at the end of his career to see him get back out there life-threatening hip uh, infection that he suffered from and to work his way back and then that goal you'll never forget that moment when he kicked that goal in the last quarter and not only his own teammates got to him but also some of the Richmond players as well. We, we do do those things really well. The level of sportsmanship in the AFL, I think, is to be commended, isn't it? Yeah, it is, Al. You're right. A, a wonderful moment. Um, and, and from all reports, I've, I've had a few mates so I used to play with who have coached at Essendon and been involved, just talk incredibly highly of Michael Hurley and what a great person he is, a wonderful footballer at his peak um, and just a really good club person, good leader. I don't know about you, I... I got a little heartbroken for him when I heard him talk and about that, that longing mm. for all he was after was stability within his club. He wanted, it was almost this, this desperate plea to be able to go back to his younger days and have an opportunity to be even better than what he was in a club that had stability and he could, because he, he played brilliant footy and all Australian footy and, and was wonderful, but it was almost a longing for, to be better and to, to be in a better environment. And I, I got a little upset for him. I thought, oh, you know, all he all he's wanted to do was be part of something that felt really united and 
and really special and, and stable and and a, and a brilliant culture that he could thrive in. And he never really got that, which is such a shame for him to finish up being such a good player and such a good person and a good leader to, to still have that longing for something else. Um, I felt for him when he was talking about that. Yeah. And to have, to have never played in a winning final Lingy for the yeah. quality of player that he was and, and the sides Essendon had was certainly capable of, of winning finals across the course of his career as well. Just some short, sharp ones to finish tidying up on a few teams who aren't playing in the finals. Lingy, St Kilda after 11 rounds, eight and three, you were very early with the call that you didn't think that they had the list that was capable of doing much. Midway mark of the year, we're thinking, hang on, maybe they can challenge for the top four. Ultimately, they fell in a heap. They won three of their last 11 games and missed the final by a game and percentage. So there's going to be a review external review as well at uh, at St Kilda, which is going to find out and really um, hone in on areas where they need to improve. Have you got a feel for for the path they need to go down? To me, the, the era of bringing in mature age players <laughs> in the field that the window might be open probably is over. They do have some good young talent. Now's the time to supplement that with more young talent, I think, and, and maybe their premiership tilt comes in three or four years' time. Yeah, you you you're absolutely spot on, Al. You you've said it perfectly. They, if they're going to review anything, go back and review the decisions to to get in. You know, Brad Hill and Zach Jones and Dan Hanbury and these players that they just got those so very very wrong. Um, and it, it you can go and target this. This is where I think list management. You know, you've got to build through the draft a really high-quality deep midfield and some key positions at each end. That's where you've got to go to the draft. That's where you get your talent and you've got to get their development spot on. You can then, when the time is right and only when you're about to get there, maybe if the opportunity to nail one really good free agent um, and, and you've got to spend up a bit, if that opportunity presents, go and do it. You know, Patrick Dangerfield decides he wants to come back and live in Mogs Creek. Well, you absolutely. You just get it done. Um, things like that. Jeremy Cameron, I'm talking both from Geelong here, but Jeremy Cameron says, I want to leave the Giants. Sure. Go and Tom get it Lynch done. wants to leave the Suns. Stephen May wants to use, leave you. the yeah. Suns. Yeah. yeah, spot on. Other great examples. Otherwise, I'll get accused of just focusing in on the Cats. <laughs> um, brilliant example. You, you get those done because you're in that right window. Then the other ones where you are either trading in or, or targeting free agents that are okay, solid, pretty good, you know, even verging on some very good players and they're a bit older, you've got to pick the positions to do it. So go and get Paddy Ryder. Absolutely. Got no dramas whatsoever with the decision to get Paddy Ryder to partner up with Rowan Marshall. Ryder's been superb for the Saints and he's brought Rowan Marshall all the way on this journey. And congratulations, Paddy, on your, on your wonderful career mm-hmm. as well. That is a really good target. So you can actually pick up uh, mature-aged Ruckman and not have to um, spend up massively, not have to give up heaps. Um, They become available, go and get them, and you can get three or four years out of them potentially. And Paddy Wright has been, been one of the best at those picks. But thinking that you're going to build a midfield and, and a game-breaking, damaging um, finals winning, grand final winning midfield by going and picking out, I'm going to get Hanbury from the Swans, I'm going to get Zach Jones from the Swans, I'm going to get Brad Hill over from Freo, and that's going to be the court. It's just a mistake, a huge mistake. So reviewing those decisions is first and foremost what St Kilda need to do. Um, but they've got some talent there. Get Jade Gresham fit and firing again. He's a superb player. Um, Sinclair of halfbacks, a huge win. I love what he does. Rowan Marshall is something to to go forward with, and Max King's going to be a terrific player. Let's he'll put the work in with his goal kicking. Um, he's going to be a wonderful player. Wilkie and Dougal Howard down back. That works. That's terrific. Um, so there's some elements there. It's just all those other spots. Jack Steele, sorry, is a superb captain. Um, they they're just too thin on the ground because they instead of drafting and recruiting and developing more of that core, they quick did the quick fix and grabbed those others in. Not the right call. Mm. GWS, um, I think 
you know, they haven't won a premiership, but they've been largely successful. They've got themselves into a grand final. They've been contending for premierships. Uh, this year has been a, a massive disappointment. Leon Cameron's tenure ended. Mark McVeigh did his level best to try and get them playing a more proactive style in the second half of the season. Ultimately, they had a, a fairly disappointing end to the year, the Giants. To me, it feels like a really important phase now for this football club because they got close to winning a premiership as much as they were thrashed in that decider against Richmond in, in 2019. But you look at the size of their crowds, their membership is, is still fairly modest and they could be in for a period of, of regeneration and perhaps a little bit of pain in the win-loss category, Lingy. What, what do they need to do? What sort of a coach do they need from here? And again, we're going to see a situation where they might be losing a, a quality player or, or two in the off-season, the likes of Tim Taranto. So it's a this to me, as much as I think they have been as successful just about as they could be in their, their infancy in the first sort of 10, 11 years of their existence in the AFL, gee, the next four or five years are going to be quite critical in, in betting down that club. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Al. They, I think first and foremost, they need to, to appoint a coach very, very quickly. Um, and they need to appoint an attacking-minded coach, which I think will suit their group. And it will also suit... <clears throat> The fact if it's, I know success is the ultimate way of getting people through the door, but if you want to be commercially successful as well, you need to be entertaining and play some good football and some some exciting football. I think they need a, an attacking-minded coach. Um, speaking with Adam Ramanaskis the other day on radio, Ramas said, who manages Adam Kingsley, he's had three or four meetings with them where he's actually had to present each time. It's a really thorough process. Adam Uze would be the same. Whichever one of those two I think would be terrific picks. Um, but I'd do it now. Make the pick now. Back yourself in. Because before, I re- what have you got now? Five weeks, maybe six weeks until trade period and free agency period really ramps up. That's enough time for the new coach to build a little bit of a relationship with Tim Taranto or Jacob Hopper or any one of these guys. And, and start selling the vision to those guys about, okay, here's how we're going to play. You know, we're going to play with a bit more dare, a bit more excitement. Um, we're looking at, you know, these, these young guys haven't got an opportunity. I'm going to play them. Um, we're going to play you more in the midfield. I want to play you maybe four, whatever you and, – and sell that hope and, and direction to those guys. And in that five- or six-week uh, period, that's enough time for Tim Durando to go – yeah, I'm, okay, I'm on board with that. I believe in this guy. Um, I'm, I'm not going to leave. So there's still a chance to keep those guys there, um, which would be big. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, you see Sam Taylor's emergence as a key defender this year. I still think there's elements galore there, um, that you, there's, there's a team to work with. Um, running through the middle of the ground is quality everywhere. Um, any team with with Whitfield and Cornelio and possibly Taranto and Hopper and um, Toby Green up for all of this, you just got to let them play to their strengths. And their strengths is, is skill and speed and um, backing themselves and taking their game on. So appoint the coach now to let them build those relationships to maybe keep a, play, a couple of those players there, but have a coach who's going to let them play to their strengths. I mean, could you imagine Craig McRae coaching that team, Al? They'd be, they'd be a They'd be fantastic to watch. They'd finally be enjoyable to actually sit down and take, eat a bit of junk food and watch the giant. <laughs> no, they they need sustenance and high GI. That's what they're going. Or low GI, I think is the term, isn't it? Lingy, I wouldn't have a clue. Um, just in terms of Craig McRae, you mentioned him there. I'm going to put you on the spot with Craig McRae and Chris Scott, your coach of the year based on the home and away season. Oh, yeah. Um, 17th to 4th. Or about to fall out of the eight, the time's over, all done, too old, too slow, and two games clear on top of the ladder. Which one's more difficult, to keep a team at top and or to get them there? I, I, I get to play the cat's card here, don't I? I get to wear the blue and white scarf just for one little bit. I try, okay, and, be, okay. I try and be neutral. Well, I would, say, I would say Craig McRae. So you can, you can okay. have your Geelong moment. I'll, I'll say... And I, I love Craig McRae and I kind of want to say um, him, but like Geelong were, were finished according to everyone and they, they've had their run and, you know, they made the grand final in 2020 and they got blown off the park in the prelim last year. They're done. 
you know, they too old, all that sort of stuff. He's now got them. He's embraced new ideas. He's now got them playing a brilliant football. I, I, I know they've still got to perform in finals before everybody jumps on and goes nuts at me here. But two games clear on top of the ladder. He's re-delivered them to a point where they are right now the best team in the competition um, and set up for a launch at a, at a possible premiership. I, I think that's a superb coaching job by Scotty. So that'll, that'll get the nod just from his great mate, Craig McRae. And just a quick one. Do you feel like Geelong is as well-placed or better placed, I would say, than, than they have been in previous years as much as they were leading at halftime in that grand final against Richmond a few years ago? Um, my word, they are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just the, the way they play is better finals football. Um, even I even I said I was surprised they got to that 2021 a little bit because, and maybe it was the maturity of the group handling the COVID effect of the year uh, better than a lot of other clubs. Um, but it was still a style of football that I thought re- relied too much on control and precision and grand finals and prelim finals aren't played um, with control and precision. It's, it's frenetic. It's chaotic. It's, it's horrendously intense at times. And the way they played this year can sustain that and can and they can execute under that. Um, I love the different way that they're playing now. It's it's more bold, it's more contest, it's more chaotic, but it's still got the sound fundamentals to it as well. Um, the the spread of uh, contributions across the ground is much better. It doesn't rely on Patrick Dangerfield having forty two and kicking three, and Tom Hawkins kicking six like it did two three years ago. It's now contributions from everyone. Um, yeah, they still need their best players playing well um, and, and, you know, rising to the occasion and playing to their, their, um, their level. And, yes, they need Jeremy Cameron fit and all that. So there's, there's elements that come into play, but they are more even uh, with a far more sustainable finals type of football they play. Um, yeah, I, I think they're the best team in it. And I think um, not even just as a Geelong fan, I sit here thinking they are the still... They're the ones who win it from here. They're in a great position um, with a really wonderful team. As boring as this sounds, Lingy, I'm with you. I am, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm taken by Geelong and what they've done. And 13 wins in a row and the evenness of contribution and the different way they're playing. And yes, the lack of reliance on those typical players. Tyson Stengel's kicked 46 goals okay. this year. Sam DeConing's become a wonderful young player in defence. Add to what they already have. Um, Atkins as well has taken his game to a new level. I think they're really dangerous, the Cats. But we know they've got to get it done. Nine games to go in this season to decide the Premier Lingy. Um, this is the week where you've got to hone in, don't you? You've got a bit of work to do on rising stars and all Australian teams and, and whatnot. I don't envy you at all in, we, in the role uh, we have. We are recording this on Sunday night. Um, it'll probably Just be... Give, give us your team. Fire away. It's- we meet tomorrow at 11 a.m. is our meeting. And I am envisaging a meeting ending at about 11 o'clock at night. Um, this is going to be a marathon <laughs> meeting. I'm envisaging a meeting uh, where you and Kane Corns, new member of the selection <laughs> panel, just go hammer and tongs for a few hours. Yes, there might be some arguments with him. There might be Nathan Buckley's on the panel now, so we might um, we might get him arguing. There's... There's always the uh, the, the Glenn Jakovic um, WA. He flies the flag. <laughs> Jono does his best for the Lions. Um, they, but it, it it's the funnest meeting to be involved in because you are talking about the best of the best of the season. Um, and each I, I watch. Oh, I suppose I work at probably two games every weekend and throw in watching three or four games every weekend. So maybe six games a weekend. I'm either watching live or on TV, the same across the entire panel, but they might watch a different six or a couple of different ones, the ones I watch. And, you know, the Giants, I, I got sick of watching the Giants there through the middle of the year because they just play um, horrendous footy. Um, Sam Taylor has had a superb year and others will fly the flag harder for Sam Taylor than maybe what I will. So I've spent the last few days um, quickly going back and watching a lot of GWS games for that reason because I haven't watched them live that that often. So it's a great discussion based on different teams and different players that certain selectors absolutely love. Um, and it all comes into this big melting pot and 
hopefully we end up um, celebrating 22 brilliant players who've had, had great season. And then we've got a vote on the rising star as well, Al. And um, a lot I think that'll be a, easier. Well, a lot say it's a one-horse race. I'm still making the argument there's a chance <laughs> for a two-horse race. But um, I, I don't again, think you'll get Sam DeConey across the line as good a season as he has had. Um, I think, yeah, Nick Dacos surely will okay. be. My favourite part about the All-Australian team is watching everyone rip it to shreds in the oh. aftermath, Lingy. So you must uh, ha- look forward to that. I, I, love, the I love the fact that 25 other players should be in the team. And if we but they brought, can't think of anyone to take out. Yeah, if we brought them in and put those, what the ones that we put in the team out, we'd cop it from all the people over this <laughs> side who are all getting stuff. Uh, but no, it's fun. It's a celebration of, well, I mean, let's be honest, one of the best home and away seasons we have had oh, in a I long, agree. long time. So yeah, absolutely. Um, it'll be a fun chat tomorrow. It'll just be a very, very long one. Now, just as we wrap up, just refresh and see if we can get that finals fixture. Up the times, we we don't know um, when we started this conversation. We weren't aware of what time the matches would be played. We knew who was playing who and where. So Geelong and Collingwood in a qualifying final at the MCG. Melbourne and Sydney in a qualifying final at the MCG. Richmond and Brisbane at the Gabba in an elimination final. And Fremantle taking on the Western Bulldogs at Optus Stadium in an elimination final as well. Do you have any news, Newsbreaker Link? I can, I can tell you now what is trending is mass frustration in the fact that it still <laughs> is not out. What um, are they seriously, doing? Seriously, the wait for the finals fixture is a joke. Hashtag AFL. Is the finals week one draw coming out tonight? Fans need to plan travel and accommodation ASP, ASAP. Hashtag so these are recent posts? Yeah, these are, all, these are all coming through right now. Um Oh, hang on. We might have breaking news. So. Oh, hang on, hang on. So we, we We're getting some have... outside help here. Yes, I think we, we do have confirmation. So the Thursday night final is actually Brisbane and Richmond at the Gabba. Wow. Friday night is Melbourne and Sydney at the MCG, which opens the door for Tom Papley to play. <laughs> Saturday twilight, Geelong and Collingwood at the MCG. That surprises me. I would have thought that the team that finished on top of the ladder, you would give the longer break, but I suppose... Yeah. If they win it, they'll get a lengthy break anyway. Fremantle versus the Western Bulldogs is the Saturday night match. That goes against everything I thought, Lingy, based on what I've seen previously. I, I would never have come up with those four no. time slots. Go again. Brisbane versus Brisbane Richmond. Richmond on Thursday night at the Thursday. Gabba. And Friday night match is Melbourne and Sydney at the MCG. So Tom Papley will have served his 12 yes. days and can play, but wouldn't have if it was the Thursday night. The Saturday twilight is Geelong and Collingwood at the MCG. Saturday night, Fremantle and the Western Bulldogs at Optus Stadium in Perth. Wow. So, okay, we got it completely wrong right at the start of this Not podcast. for the first time, Lingy. We were completely wrong. All right, no. that's the finals fixture. Live and free, all of those games on Channel 7. Channel 7 takes ownership of the, the finals, and uh, you'll see them all with the best teams in the business calling them for you. Um well, Al, can I leave you on one more just celebration of this wonderful season that we've yes. had? From our great mate, Sir Swamp Thing, uh, one of the best Twitter follows that you can ever have. And, uh, and Swamp does his fine work with Channel 7 as well. Most VFL slash AFL seasons with 50-plus goals. How's this for company? Leading the way with 14 of those seasons is Tony Lockett. On 13 is Gordon Franklin Coventry today. And Lance Franklin now 13. So Lockett. Yeah. Franklin, Coventry, then Dunster with 12, Doug Wade with 11, Ablett Senior with 11. That is incredible company. 50-plus goal seasons, 13 for Buddy Franklin. That is awesome. Franklin going into his 12th final series. He's played 25 finals. What about your old mate, Joel Selwood? What is it, 38 finals he's played? I think he's about to break the record. Is that right? Michael Tuck was 39 from memory, so there you go. Uh, Lingy? Give me a tip. Brisbane, Richmond. Uh, I reckon Richmond beat them. Melbourne, Sydney. I I, I think Melbourne, I, I'm fresh off that Friday night memory. I'll, I'll go with the Demons. They were unbelievable. Geelong and Collingwood. Uh, I'll go the Cats just there, Al. Fremantle and the Western Bulldogs. You know what? I, I worry for Fremantle here. Um, but I love Justin Longmuir. And I love a couple of those mids, Caleb Sarong beauties. I've got to ride them all the way. I'm going to back Fremantle in an early tip. 
All right. Good fun, mates. Uh, enjoy your week off. We'll kick back, watch a bit of women's footy. You'll see that live and free on Channel 7 as well before the finals kick off. So repeating, and as we speak on a Sunday evening, these have just been confirmed. Thursday night, Brisbane and Richmond at the Gabba. Friday night, Melbourne and Sydney at the MCG. Saturday, Twilight, Geelong, Collingwood at the MCG. And Saturday night, Fremantle and the Western Bulldogs, Optus Stadium in Perth, all live and free on Channel 7. Strap yourself in, Lingy. We're in for a big couple of weeks. Nine games to come to decide the premiership in season 2022. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Al. All the best. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 